And here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Leo, my cat, always walks into the studio when I press record to record intros for my show. And he is actually lying on my lap. Can you, can you hear him purring? This is hysterical. Well, thanks for tuning in. It's I feel like it's been a little while since I've recorded a podcast. It's been over a week. But I'm really thrilled to welcome David Gomez to the show. The, the show is going to take a bit of a musical detour over the next couple weeks as I'm going to be speaking to some musicians and artists that are sort of in the music world. And David Gomez is a music mixer and a front of house audio engineer. He's worked with amazing bands, including Garbage, Local Natives, Failure, Fleet Foxes, and also two of my favorite bands, Auto Lux and Other Lives. And that's how I got to know David, because he's friends with Josh from Other Lives. And of course, I've had Josh on the show. So Josh introduced me to David. And I reached out to David. And thankfully, he... <laughs> this is hysterical. You're hearing purring in the background of this intro. Leo, it's the only way this intro is going to get recorded. So thankfully, David said yes to coming on the show. So I drove, I drove on out to his studio in the Valley last week. And we sat down and we talked about music and tech and how he got into being a music mixer What's it like being on the road, some sort of a like the behind the scenes world of being a music mixer and just a typical day in the world of being on the road, being an audio engineer. And that's the thing. I think when we go see a band play for an hour and a half, we, we don't often think about the goings on, what it, what it takes to bring a show to life. It's so much more than the 90 minutes that you see the band performing. There's just so many people involved. So it was really cool to talk to David, and he really gives us a good inside look at what it's like being on the road, what it was like getting into music and being on the road with these bands in a typical day. So a great conversation. And I, before we listen to the conversation, last but not least, I, you know, this show is about the impact of tech, specifically on artists and the creative world. You know, on the, on the one hand, technology has made our lives so much easier. But on the other hand, it's made our lives incredibly complicated. You know, our free time is often taken up by tech and social media and staring at our phones if we're not careful. And I think a lot of music companies out there want their bands or artists to be on social media, reaching out to their fans all the time in their free time instead of writing new music clearing their heads, writing new songs, going to the studio, it almost feels like somebody in the band needs to be on the phone communicating to fans all the time or being on social media because nowadays bands can be so quickly forgotten. It's it's like you have to release a song every month or two or else people are just going to move on to the next artist, the next cool thing. It's about staying hot and relevant all the time now. So it's just, it's an interesting paradox. It's an interesting dynamic that's happened right now. I think as artists and musicians, we need our quiet time. We need our time to create. But it feels like the pull, the, the trend, what's going on in our culture now is that it feels as though we have to spend our time on our phones promoting our craft as, a, as opposed to spending more time getting better at our craft. So it's, it's an interesting shift. 
and it's and it's complicated. And I created the show to talk to other artists to hear how they're handling tech. So it's a great talk this week with David. If you dig the show, please head on over to iTunes, write a review. That stuff really helps. You can support my show directly by visiting my Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. And as always, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show. It's been just over a year since I've been doing this thing, and it's been freaking awesome talking to amazing people almost every week, hearing their stories, hearing how tech impacts their life. And yeah, that's it. So as always, thank you so much. Thanks to David Gomez for being a part of the show. And thank you to you for being a part and listening to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Yeah, yeah, check, 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 check. It is me. It's you. It is me. Yeah, you, you're ready to. You're ready to sing. <laughs> no, no. You're like no. Please, that no. That will not be part of this. <laughs> well, that's part of the rule. Every time I have somebody Singing? on, they have to sing. That's not true. I've listened. I've heard your podcast. I know. Well, I, I, there's a reason why uh, people become sound guys because they realize they uh, don't have a great voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm better behind the scenes. There's nothing wrong with that. Recognizing that at some point. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's good. I, but I am curious about when, and I don't know. I'm not meaning this to be sort of sarcastic or jokey in any sort of way but did that i get the sense you were maybe in a band mm-hmm. many and, bands yeah and then um <laughs> you look like you're just like hanging out watching television just at home it's just, this is great i just want to make sure it's comfortable but yeah anyway, is that good? Oh, yeah right. i think yeah. i think so yeah, yeah, yeah i was i was making sh- well i was curious you know if you were in bands and then you know you realize just like i think so many of us realize but there's no way this is going to happen or and whatever happening means and then but there are sort of other avenues behind the scenes sure. where yeah. you can actually you know make a living and those people often get forgotten because a lot of times when people go to shows, they just you know think of the band, but they're not really realizing how many other moving pieces are going on behind the scenes. It's it's part of it, yeah, that, that your name is not on the marquee and you're not on stage and, and getting the attention. Um, but not everybody really is is after that, and I think it's it's also kind of just part of the the camaraderie, the the, the secret club or, or of of the the road people, you know, yeah. the, the people that understand what's going on with the production when they see one and know who's working behind the scenes on what and the way recognize when things are going right or, or other. Yeah. Uh, And it makes, it makes going to concerts a really different experience for, for better or or often worse as, as a person who's still a fan of music and I go see my favorite band. And, you know, if, if something was, is off about the production it's kind of obvious to production people that, (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> makes makes it harder to just like sometimes i i go to shows and i just put foam into my ears and try to ignore the sound as much as possible and just close my eyes and get in the music and yeah try to put myself into that like you know teenage kid who 
was inspired to to be there in the first place and get involved in all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, is that challenging though now? Sometimes. Yeah, somet- sometimes it is, but it's important for me to to uh to keep in touch with that that person that 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 motivation that original motivation for what got me into music and uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it it becomes whenever when it's a job then your perspective on everything changes and I meet people all the time that might have gotten into this field for the love of music and can't stand music anymore, especially yeah. the not the kind that they're hearing night to night and and that's just sometimes that's just going to a job and work is work and that's yeah. that's how it goes. You don't always work for your favorite bands and I've I've been pretty lucky in that regard of working for music i like so yeah so uh do you yeah, ever do you get to pick and choose or they well they how does that how does one find out about you being a sound engineer for touring bands yeah usually it's a word of mouth yeah. type of thing uh it's it's there were a couple of times that i reached out to bands that i liked <laughs> sure that they were like hey i'm this guy out here in kansas and i know i am totally down with you guys uh, you know call me up and that had worked a couple of times i got in touch with not not huge popular bands that were like uh great career job but but like the psychedelic noise rock bands that i was into and yeah. and and wanting to get involved with and g- going back you kind of started talking about how how i got into this or how one starts as a musician or that's one angle of getting into this field of starting as a musician and then arriving in the, the technical side of things but uh to me from from the beginning, I always wanted having some kind of musical and performance element to to what I'm doing for work is was still what what makes things fulfilling to me. Being on the road and a lot of what that entails is just not a lot of fun sometimes. And there's just a lot of besides the the bus and plane rides and all that stuff. There's just a lot of waiting around, you know. Yeah. But uh, if if it's something that I can still feel excitement about and feel something from the music when I'm doing the show. That's a a big payoff to me. Can you tell when the crowd is not vibing the sound sure and and it's and you know it's something that you're not doing or how do you know if it's the band is is not doing something right or and can you communicate to the band while they're up there well no once (laughs) (laughs) once once that ship has has sailed has has left the dock no i especially out at front there might be some communication between the um uh, the the monitor engineer who right. is on stage with the band more so than where I'm at out front of house where I'm mixing for the crowd, but I do pay attention to the crowd when I'm mixing a show, particularly if if there's uh, when 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 the beat should be when people should be moving, mm. uh, when people should be shaking their asses, and and a lot of times I know that things are going right that I, I'm doing well the the band is doing well we're doing our jobs when. When the when the crowd is moving, hmm. um, that's 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 really it. And especially from my perspective, where I'm just looking at the backs of people, the backs of people's 
heads, you know. I'm just kind of looking looking for movement. I mean, I guess the flip side of that is it would be like people like looking back and glaring in my direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, happens in, you know, uh, hopefully not too often uh, these days, but but yeah, yeah. you know. Usually if if you can just look around the room and and see the crowd losing themselves in in the music then uh then then it's going right everything else as far as what what the band is doing up there is either something we've rehearsed so many times that you know a lot of these these shows are are very choreographed things or or other artists it's not like that at all some artists make up their their set list as as they go along and yeah and uh well, you're the sound engineer for one of my favorite bands, Other Lives. Yeah. And there's just so much instrumentation that goes on on the record. And then I think you did the sound for gar- um, Garbage. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I think they are just like a four-piece band. They are, and yeah. Are there, are there a lot of loops and things going on under, underneath? Well, they're, they're, a to- they're a total five-piece band, actually. So Garbage, that's, that's my... You're kind of uh, crossing a lot of time here, because Other Lives I started working with um, almost 10 years ago now, wow. which is pretty amazing. Well, that, I guess before, uh, we, but, b- before we go back, I yeah. guess I was just curious about... You know what's the difference doing sound for a band where I get the sense there's a lot of pre-recorded tracks and there's uh-huh. looping going on, and then it's just like a, a live sort mm-hmm. of band per mm-hmm. se, and they're they're not playing to pre-recorded tracks. Is that more challenging for you, or if we're talking about the difference between like those two bands, for examples, actually, garbage is there are some pre-recorded tracks. Okay, there is not much. There are loops that are triggered by drum hits by pads and triggers and sure. things like that so there's loops and there's time-based things going on but actually that it, you might be surprised by how electronic that band sounds that that it is this way but that is very much a live rock band right garbage is the main difference between a band like them and other lives is that other lives has a lot of acoustic instrumentation on stage they have the timpanis and a violin and wind instruments and um so it's a little more organic at the sources, but um, I think that they both kind of fit into a category of stuff that I like working on because right. there are just there's so many colors. There's so there's so much there's so much going on that there's a lot of work in those mixes to try to figure out how the things fit together and not not have everything. Especially in the mid range, the mid range is kind of a hard place to control sometimes with a lot of things fighting for attention or right. knowing which thing might need to come to the focus in the the pre chorus or the verse or, or or what have you but uh yeah, that is just all music that I love mixing because it's really dynamic and mm. and uh and there's a lot going on, I think I might get kind of bored if if my job was something that was a really set and forget kind of thing which would be the dream job to a lot of people yeah you know i mean set and forget from a sound perspective usually means the band is doing a lot of things right so don't get me wrong i'm i'm just kind of have found myself in the the business of bands with lots of inputs and right. lots of stuff going on and uh trying to kind of treat songs like 
like uh, mixing is kind of like a, a bit of a puzzle to solve or, you know, trying to unpack something or, or solve a riddle, figure out like how do these things pile up? How do these sources all come together and, and not just sound like a big pile of mush? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, um, you know, let's say a show is an hour and a half. Just give me, a, before we backtrack, just give me an idea, though, of what your day is like. Let's say, you know, Garbage has a, band, has a show tonight at the, yeah. Gre- at the Greek Theater, and it's uh, at 9 p.m. or something. Yeah. So what's your day going to be like? So a band like those guys are most the the level that, that I'm doing, which is like... Oh, say two to five thousand people a night. What we're carrying with us is our audio consoles and usually some lighting, uh, but not the speakers that you see going up in the air. Usually, those are either in the in the venue already in some venues or hired in for these shows specifically. I bring that up because if I was flying that PA every day, my those those people start working at at six a.m. Interesting. Or, okay. Or. Maybe maybe eight. It it kind of depends on on the day, but it gets going pretty early. If as far as if anything lighting and sound wise, if stuff needs to go up in the air on trusses, that starts much earlier. On the touring that I usually do, uh, we usually get into a venue about noon. Okay, and the band is still like maybe in the hotel or wherever. They might be in the hotel. But the y- band also generally stays pretty busy during the day doing promotional kind right. of stuff. They're in a different city every day so they have opportunities to talk to radio stations or um or you know they most of the bands i work with tend to stay pretty busy doing interviews or or something right during the daytime so we'll be working usually we get in about four and then uh, or it would get in about noon and the sound check would happen about when we actually see the band happens about four or five o'clock or something like that. But you're obviously working between 12 and four. Yeah. Yeah. And on, on a good day when everything is, is going in right, then I might have a, have an hour lunch break wow. in there. Every day is a, is a little bit different. Every venue can, can be, some venues are harder than others to, to get things into. Sometimes the hardest days at work, are usually the smaller venues, hmm. which, one might be surprised to to know, but but a smaller space and a smaller stage, uh, probably less electrical capability, usually means more puzzles for us to solve. The best, easiest days are big venues with lots of wide open space, a big side stage where we can just roll our things in, turn them on, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything's nice. So yeah, maybe we get a, a lunch break in there. Sometimes I'll choose not to have a lunch break because I'm, I multi-track every show that I do these days uh, and, and use a lot of automation, song to song, making adjustments that, hmm. that happen song to song to, to fit those particular songs. So if I get everything set up and I'm show ready and have another, have an extra hour to kill, a lot of times I'm just on my headphones and, and working on my mixes, just, just preparing. The roadies, they're putting all the gear on stage, and are you communicating with them? Are they already sound checking stuff before the band is even there? Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, it, there's there's always backline technicians working on stage that are uh, that are making sure all all of the equipment works right. So really, we're all kind of 
we're all kind of in our own little little mode. Uh, I don't want to say our own little world, but lights, sound, backline, video, if there's a video technician. We all have our own little things that we're kind of trying to keep together. So there's not a lot of, like, you don't hear a lot of, usually a lot of sound and noise and jamming and stuff, like getting stuff together. It's kind of more like the everyone's focused on the little details that have to go right of their own little job the guitar technicians usually have have some setups to do or have the headstock that got snapped when the guitar got thrown the other night or their job is different day to day and it seems like there's always there's always something to fix and so that's that's all i I think that's all of our jobs actually on on the road is a lot of that time has got to go into maintenance of something because stuff just breaks stuff gets rolled into the back of the truck and then bumps down the highway all night and right. things become disconnected and computers get upset and <laughs> what do you remember like a a big stressful moment that happened on stage where something was something was clearly not going right and the lead singer was getting upset well, or, get, or is yeah there anything? usually the majority of that time, it, it, it has something to do with um, most of the artists I work with and most of the artists you see in, in big concerts these days are working on with in-ear monitors. Right. Like like headphones, little little earbud headphones that are just custom molded to their ears and they're wearing a wireless pack that's getting them that, that signal. So you have the speakers, the drivers inside of the ears, you have the fit of the ears themselves, the connection to those, the batteries in the pack, the wireless signal, what I'm all describing is all of these different little factors of that chain that could go wrong that are really out of anyone's hands. Once that artist walks on stage and they're jumping around and, and you know uh, there's there's a lot of move, move, movement and moving parts so there's a lot of things to go wrong in that world which is one of the reasons why I just really like to do front of house and yeah. and I I think that the job of monitors is uh it's a difficult one and I respect those guys so much and and there's as many people that love to do monitors because they like to be in charge in touch with the artists and don't want to be out there with with the people in the crowd it's a different job but a lot of what kind of scares me about that job is how many factors are totally out of your control you can just be having the greatest show and everything be going right and then just like I don't know why the battery slipped out of, you know, something, something changed and all of a sudden everything's gone to hell. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so a lot of things can, can, can change really fast, but usually it's, it's monitoring things that hopefully it's, it, something's gone very, very wrong. If it's something on, on my end at front of house for, for it to be like really a, a showstopper, but we're all, Pretty much the way every show is put on right now, we're dependent on a lot of computers. We're dependent yeah. on computers for for our, our audio consoles can can recall and do all kinds of things that you just would not have been able to imagine with hmm. power and versatility with with an analog console. But they're computers, and sometimes they they get upset. Sometimes they worked yesterday, and today they just don't yeah uh, and and that goes for for every department a lot of a lot of the not just playback but guitar sounds keyboard sounds and everything else are, are really computer driven these days so 
usually when we have major technical difficulties, it has to do with a computer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if not a minor, this, this thing got unplugged from here kind of thing. <laughs> well, and it's, it's funny, you know, we can go so many directions before I go back to sort of how you got into music, but you know, I love technology. I get the sense though, that once we moved to the phone and social media, I think it became more of an addiction. It's like Las Vegas in the pocket. Technology has probably made your life more exciting on, you know, as a job. And it's, it's changed it yeah. a lot. Okay. It's, it's, it's changed it a lot. And I guess I'm from a generation, I'm 41 and I I think I'm kind of in this, well, as our whole generation is, is people that grew up without the cell phones uh, and, and then have our adult lives with these cell phones. We're kind of in between those mm-hmm. two worlds. At, when I learned audio, I was only, I was only, uh, everything was still 100% um, analog audio consoles. That's, uh, it was about 99 or 2000 when I decided to, to start learning the craft. So that was all, everything was, was analog back then. So I learned on that stuff, grew up with, with the digital consoles and what they have nowadays sonically, the, the first generations of digital consoles really sounded pretty thin right you know you were making a lot of trade-offs for the convenience and recallability of digital uh nowadays uh, i think that those that digital stuff has really caught up sound quality wise and everybody's pretty happy with even some of the 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 stalwart guys that would say they were never going to go to digital at some point when you're setting up something that is 80 pounds and recalls exactly what you did yesterday versus something that is 500 pounds and there are 500 variables <laughs> that, yeah. that, you know, everyone is, is kind of seen their way to, to the, the digital revolution. And so, so yeah, it, it has opened up all kinds of opportunities as a, as a music mixer is what I really identify as a music mixer primarily more than say an audio engineer or technician. I'm those things too, but I'm, I'm kind of in this to, to mix the music and uh, digital has brought about so many opportunities to, try to recreate sounds from records and hmm. use, use some some techniques and and uh, a variety of of processing and and uh, ear candy that that was usually just kind of reserved for the studio and and live sound was generally kind of a a more uh, troubleshooting and direct kind of uh, simpler presentation of the music usually so many of these studio kind of techniques have become available to not just people with the really nice expensive digital mixers but people with thousand and two thousand dollar mixers you know some really basic equipment affords you so much now and i kind of wonder when i work around or or see kind of what's going on with some engineers that are younger than me that that didn't learn in an analog world where you have a very finite amount of processing and whatever is in your rack is what you can plug in and that's what you have uh, versus something where you can really have sky's the limit of your your little macbook or or whatever is doing your processing you can go crazy with plugins you can <laughs> load things down with i think sometimes 
a, a very unnecessary things is a lot of times that the simplest path is going to be the one that sounds the best having less stuff in the way yeah so i think it's it's a different we're in a different era now where where people are the way people learn has has got to be different and it's going to catch up and maybe result in just different styles of mixing and it's not going to be just a better or worse kind of thing but but just a different different approach altogether starting out from the very beginning and having that many options available to you i feel kind of i feel fortunate and i feel kind of uh the concepts and the way that that i learned them come still directly from when i had very limited uh uh, limited things to work with equipment wise and figured out how to make those work. And then I got on a little bit bigger analog console that had a few more bells and whistles, a four band EQ instead of the three band EQ. Right. And now this has groups and now, and, and so on. And then I learned how to use those things as I went from smallest club into concert venues. Uh, but nowadays, yeah, you can get in at the start and have like, Every toy trick and tool of, available at, at your at your disposal, so it's it's a really different world. I'm curious. Also, I mean, I talk about a lot on my podcast, but just like the Napster Spotify effect, not just on the music industry, the music world, and I and I think that's why a lot of bands now are touring because that's how they can actually make money. Mm-hmm. How has I mean, do, do you talk to artists that and in? that talk about that still, uh, because I actually think it also sort of carried over to other industries, even like Netflix and film. And I'm waiting for the day where people just want to go to art galleries and, and not pay any money. Yeah. And, and do you feel as though we're still, or will forever be affected by the Napster Spotify effect? And and is that why bands are touring so much now? Because that is definitely, okay. I mean, I think, I think the music industry is still settling into what the, whatever the new norm is, but that's another thing in in talking, you know, about the the kind of unique time frame this this 20 years that I've the last 20 years that I've been involved in the music industry uh along with the technology and production, the way that music is distributed has changed so much in that time. I started touring at the tail end of when labels the uh, the MP3 explosion had already happened, but I think labels were still a bit in denial or trying to do things the old way. So when I started touring with bands, there were tour support budgets, and they were, um, and it was all about making the record, promoting this album, in unit sales, and and uh, and so on. And uh, and nowadays, it seems like the focus for the artist. One, it seems like it's it's a lot more about singles than albums, and I don't. It's hard to imagine that going back the other direction, uh, the, the tide changing on on that. With it seems like it's just all about like staying in people's faces, you know, generating content. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you have something for Spotify or whatever to to throw up in people's faces every month, then then you you stay present rather than. Um, working on a record and dropping one every six years, like our, like like well, our friends, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm all about records and in the journey that a record can take you on. But I think that's that's one way that things have changed. And yes, bands like 
have to that the touring it's not a, an option really at all for to be a a band that is a business making money and just uh and just staying home you kind of have to get out there and tour touring and and ad placement i guess is the other mm-hmm. sinks in ads and movies and in tv and stuff like that that's that's how people are making money cuz clearly it's not on the fractions of pennies that are coming off of spotify It's incredible that the numbers that will now construe a, a number one single or yeah. or album, and I I don't claim to understand how any of that stuff works. I'm just, <laughs> and I really try to stay in in my department as much as I possibly can, and try to stay true to presenting an artist's vision to a to an audience, and that's that's where I am. A lot of times, I do end up getting involved in. Uh, in in working with with labels and and management, of course, because a lot of times I'm I'm also involved in tour managing and production managing. So you got to know kind of what's going on. But but yeah, I try to I'm trying to stay in my zone and, and keep it about the music as much as I can. And of course, the artists are too. But that's it's a it's a the social media and everything else is a real full time job for for everybody that I work for that they are, I mean, I'm talking about the artists themselves and what they do during their daytime. A lot of the times just staying in people's faces is what keeps you, keeps you on the radar and keeps you uh, relevant in the social media driven end of things these days. That's what it seems like. People say in articles I've read, the biggest challenge for a movie theater or a, a theme park or even a band is to get somebody out of the house because sure. literally you can just stay home and watch Netflix all day. Yeah. And, and Netflix wants you to be home all day. Yep. And, you know, I think about, you know, Khalid who it seemed like for this, like the last 18 months, literally put out a new single every month and there you then go. finally released a record. It feels as though to me, and I like, I like Khalid. I actually think he, he puts out some great stuff, but it feels to me that it's more about being seen and then the quality of the work. And I, and I don't know. I mean, it's this strange dichotomy now where it almost feels like you need to keep putting out as much stuff as possible. Of course, you're hoping people respond to it, but you just need to be out it's, there. Yeah, it's, it's volume of, of putting out a lot of stuff and and visibility and and probably accessibility to people too also is is really like i think i think uh audiences especially young audiences just expect that these days that now through instagram twitter or whatever else you can have this direct contact with with your favorite artist who is putting out tons of pictures of themselves. And I don't know, it just, it's, it's just strikes me as really funny when I think about it versus when I was growing up and the albums and bands that I listened to and, and the, the mystique was really a a part Mm. of that. The The inaccessibility of, of these bands. And I would have my tape and, you know, I'd have like one, kind of shadowy picture of of the band and that's what i that's all i know about what they look like and maybe i can figure out where they're they where they're from from asking my 
buddy at school or or something, you know? But there was this sort of mystic quality and mystery and trying to discover more about them. And now I feel like we don't really value, we just expect to have to know everything yeah. about the band. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the mystery part, I guess there's probably still some bands that, are, that, that maintain that one way or another, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, a, it's really different these days. There's that constant accessibility to, to everybody. And that's kind of, that's, I think that's really expected in the nineties when, when bands, if a band would get like a sync on a commercial or something like that, it was like, they would get skewered. It was like, oh, well, that I'm not listening to them anymore. That's right. totally sold out. Yeah, remember that? You remember totally how bands would just totally just get ripped for for selling out, and now it's just like it's it's the only way to get by as as a musician. Yeah. It's it's a way to 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 make a living is is I mean, to do, to monetize do you your he- your art. Are you part of not? I mean, do you hear other artists talking about just the struggles? Of of it, or just, or not even, or maybe just the the major shift that's happened because of social media and tech. Yeah, I don't know if they're talking about you know like hearing artists talk about the shift, but definitely talking about like how to keep up with it, how to yeah. think of the next thing to get people's attention, and um, just the amount of of time and effort that I see the artists that I work with put into socials and and uh and everything else i i think people people maybe have an impression that that musicians just go on stage and their their job is in that that 90 minutes they're on stage and they're hanging out and (laughs) doing partying or doing whatever and in the time in between but it seems like as much of a a full-time job as, as anything, everybody I, I work with. And it seems like anybody who has much success in, in this stuff is really, uh, is really working it all the time. Yeah. Constantly trying to figure out what the next thing is to, to stay on people's radar. And, and, and I think a lot of that adds up to just touring more often as well, because there's, there's so many things competing for people's attention right now that if if you go away and don't go back to a town for a couple of years you you lose the momentum you that you might again. have built on that that crowd you know you have to like really work markets hard as far as being being present there and staying just stay on people's radar. Don't don't uh, get lost in the shuffle. I think is the main challenge. I want to get your opinion, and I know that I I do have this dystopian angle. I just I think about twenty four hours in a day, and I think about like that documentary I saw where Jimmy Page was talking about Led Zeppelin recording When the Levee Breaks in that house but the huge tall ceilings and yeah. and I think back in like the 60s 70s even 80s when you know you bands went into the studio and they made their record and they wrote their songs and they spent all day and they you know they 
try to create this creative spark that you can't really create, but it sort of naturally, spiritually sort of happens. And, and, and now, you know, one band member may, may be on Instagram, one might be on Snapchat, and, and there's just sort of this chaotic pull going on. And then I also think about how much time and energy it takes to make a record. And I just feel like the brain is sort of going in so many different directions now. And what's your take on sort of the shift in the creative culture? And, and, you know, personally, do you find yourself addicted to your cell phone? Or are you are you really good about mixing a show and knowing to put your cell phone away? Or are you supposed to like post something for the band? Because sometimes I'm supposed to be posting something for the band. Sometimes that cell phone is the way to, for a number of people to contact me during the show and say, Hey, you know, we need to take care of this thing or, you know, stop the show because this thing is happening or, or whatever. So, so, um, yeah, my phone kind of stays, stays around constantly. And I don't know, I, I guess if if your question is, is just getting, getting sucked into all this, this stuff that is, is programmed to, to keep us addicted to it. Like, yes, I've had problems with that. No, we all. My girl just got me this Apple watch a couple weeks ago for my birthday. Now this is, I think this, this is helping me a lot because, well, you get notifications on your phone all day and it's like for this piece of, you know, I need to know when I get an email because I have, there's plenty of things that it's a job that I don't get if I, if I don't respond within an hour or people, you know, sometimes it's just expected that you're on top of that stuff. But like five times out of five, when my phone rings in a day, it's, it's spam or emails, just a lot of, a lot of times or just checking the time. So I've been putting myself up to actually using this device on my wrist to, to help me as a tool to help me keep my phone in my pocket. Hmm. Uh, and I haven't really figured out like a lot of other neat things it does yet but that's something that, that uh has has been helping me because once that's that's when you get pulled back in you get a text message or you get an update from facebook or something like that because phone goes being pulled phone out of pocket yep. and then i looked at that one thing that doesn't matter but then this other thing caught my eye and then you know and then like then you don't know where the last 10 15 minutes went and that's how your day goes and I, i'm 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 bad i'm as bad as anybody and i told you a lot of times in the the touring line of work you're just waiting around you're waiting around airports you're waiting around backstage just a lot of hurry up and wait kind of lifestyle and so it lends itself to just like scrolling and so yeah um i'm bad about (laughs) about all that stuff but uh as a musician making original music that would be that was something that you'd really be I, i think you'd have to like try to keep that in check and try not to, I, I feel like when I'm trying to make art or make music, uh, oversaturation of knowing everything that's going on around me sometimes would, could, could water down what the creative impulse that was there in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's really dangerous. I just, I just know a couple of artists that, that really try to, even uh, avoid really knowing exactly what's hip and what's going on in music right now and or especially what what their contemporaries what their peers and their same genre are are doing because you just 
it kind of uh, waters things down a little bit. I think if you are, if your brain is already full of all that stuff, you know, yeah, without even seeking it out, just with it just being omnipresent, it's always just always there. So. I, I I keep wanting. There's just so many things I could ask you, but I, you know I've done a couple tours where there was like three weeks up north and three weeks in the Midwest, and mm-hmm. there is this sort of you know people that aren't in music, they think that it's just all glamour and glory, but I was exhausted, <laughs> yeah. mentally exhausted, filled yeah. with anxiety, yeah, because you're in a different city every day, different bed, and I, I'm a I'm a homebody. Uh, I certainly love to travel, but for you, was, was that a challenging shift to to be constantly on the move? And again, I, I do feel like that's, again, sort of this thing about social media and tech. I mean, I do think we as human beings, and it's been this way for thousands of years, we need face-to-face conversation. Yeah. It, it, it sort of gives us love and support. We need a home one place to sort of go back to very important i so to, to me it, yeah. for me too yeah and so being a homebody and for lack of a better word being somebody who loves to be home uh-huh. how is how do you create that sense of environment on the road or do you sort of just know going into it this is going to be really hard or you've sort of figured out some ways to make it more comfortable yeah i mean i've I've gotten more used to it. I can't say that it it has necessarily gotten easier. I don't think I'm really necessarily wired for being like a nomadic person, even though that's that my job. And I do I do a lot of touring. Like you said, it's super important for me to have have a home base. And even if I don't see it for three months, I'm I'm happy to be sending rent home to to that place where it's going to be how I left it when yeah. I when I left and and that that feeling of coming home is 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 amazing. It's it's great, but um but yeah, as 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 you get get more experienced with with the traveling and in touring kind of stuff, people find find ways to find healthy food is is a hard is a tough thing yeah. for for one. A lot of times you don't have food choices, and I consider myself so lucky that I'm that I don't have really a very restricted diet. I can eat about whatever because if if you're if you're dealing with restrictions on tour, that's that's really difficult. But but uh, yeah, people find find their ways to either stash their food or 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 find time to make to make the food choices or, or for me, I'm just so all about coffee. So, uh, in recent times I've like gotten the, have the like espresso machine at front of house where I, where I work at the, during the day and try to like, just, just have some of the creature comforts at, at home. I bring a little rug that I stand on and I don't know if, if I, if I set up my little workstation in the same way and have some things that are kind of comforting, then it kind of feels like, oh, I'm just in my office, whether or not I'm, you know, in the U.S. or some other place, you right, know, in, right. anywhere in, in in the world. I guess doing some things consistently. I, I think a lot of what makes touring tolerable is um, is the people that you're surrounded with, and um, I, I consider myself so lucky with with the crews and the bands and and the the people that I have met and, and worked with for just the, the vast, vast majority are 
people they, I might work with somebody for a week or two or a weekend but the, but they stay friends for life and, and keep in touch uh, when you're on the road together and there's there's lots of downtime and there's lots of time for for conversations you can really get to know people right. and uh, we we definitely help keep each other sane. from Kansas City? Yeah, that's right. I'm just curious, like your first relationship with music and then how it sort of blossomed and percolated over the years. I mean, just do you sort of remember your first, you know, for me, I remember playing the piano when I was like two. I Mm. just, I just, we had one in the house. I was just banging and actually making melodies. Um, And so music just, from a very young age was a huge part of my life. Yeah. And I mean, it's still a huge part of my life. Yeah. I think we just sort of just somehow get attracted to the sounds or the feelings, just it's wired in us. What yeah. do you, what do you have I any mean, sort of sense of from, from that early age of being like a toddler? I remember songs from the radio. I remember songs my mom listened to. I remember, I remember feelings from songs. I remember some songs that I thought were scary. <laughs> Man, Man Eater by Hall and Oates. Oh, that God. is, you listen to those words, especially if you're a kid. This <laughs> is really scary song. I like, I remember, I remember that. And like, those are some kind of early memories of just like pop songs on the radio and, and, and feelings from them. And then, um, my parents definitely encouraged me and my sisters to to pick up an instrument and and play an instrument in school and so and so we all we all did and I think that has a a huge part of me really getting solidly involved in music what as, was your as my life first instrument or what were you playing uh saxophone sax okay yeah yeah I picked up saxophone in grade school and that was my primary well that was kind of like my school and formal learning type instrument through a year of college when it was like it was even my major uh, 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 performance for a second and then education for a second. But, I, you know, college is a different story. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and, and not a very long story. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but yeah, uh, saxophone and, um, and I picked up the guitar because really, like, really when I got into music it was it was rock music um me and my buddy across the street would like i remember i think the first album i was aware of was was bon jovi slippery when wet <laughs> and like the first thing i was aware of songs and bands and stuff like that but like, this is an album okay and this is like you know this is the album i'm yeah. into so i it was it was stuff like that and we like, loved like poison and motley crew and yeah. you know like you a, were a, like a, white snake and poison and warrants yeah <laughs> i had a warrant tape yeah <laughs> I, I admit and then i got Did into you like scorpions no okay no but i think that was like you know, there were bands like they were maybe just like a few years ahead of me or by the time I came of like adolescent, like teenage years when you're finding your your style and your bands yeah. and stuff like um, bands like like Kiss was like I was like, you know, that was I was definitely too young for that to be cool. That sounded yeah. kind of silly to me. Never really got ACDC until like later. I do now. But like then I was like, that sounds like 
cheesy, you know, like I, I got into like from like the hair metal stuff. I got into like then it was all about Metallica for a while, I guess. But that's like, you know, uh, a boy age 13 in uh, 1991 or whatever, yeah. you know, or age 12 in 1990. Uh, that's. That you know that was that was my my time frame and and that's what me and my friends were listening to and then like so many people, uh, Nirvana changed everything. Yeah, you know and and I think that 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 was when I started. I guess maybe I got a guitar for Christmas sometime, one of those years right around then. But like I want to I want to play guitar. I want to be actually I wanted to play drums and Mom was like, Nope, you're learning a real instrument. And so I was not allowed to play the yeah. drums, but my buddy Matt across the street he got a drum set for Christmas. That's I think why I ended up grabbing a guitar. And bands like when Nirvana came out and and all the that their wave uh, kind of the new wave of punk rock. I think what punk rock did for so many people was was music that was accessible. The '80s hair metal sound or the or the '70s rock sound. Those are sounds that are just like so studio concocted and so like glorious and huge and i got my first guitar and went and i'm like oh well i thought that was supposed to sound like you know right oh this guitar sucks (laughs) 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 it looks cool looks pointy like it looks like a strat you know like that kind of thing but but that doesn't sound like rock you know it's like just seemed like there's like such a a disconnect between like what comes out of this instrument and normal people or people that I can relate with. And then there there was a great music scene in the nineties in Kansas city in Lawrence, Kansas. And um, so pretty shortly after I kind of got into the, the uh, world of grunge and then indie rock and punk rock, I found out that there's like a lot of bands in my area that are really good at it and doing unique things. And so I had, all, all of a sudden, these people to look up to, they, they, this whole thing became relatable. So, and, like, you were just going out to bars and clubs and stuff in in the cities and just meeting bands that you just really dug? Well, and, no, I'm talking about, like, being, like, way too young to be in a bar okay. at all. I'm talking about kind of when I was, like, really finding when music was really becoming like the main thing I was all about. It was, we had an awesome radio station at the time that that was one Oh five, nine, the laser that was like a commercial yet independent radio station, which are pretty extremely rare these days. And even at that time where a radio station that just does their own programming and plays whatever local rock band that was. And then we had a couple of all ages clubs. So I started being able to, to go, go see those bands that, that area, it was really most places were 18 or 21 and over. So it was, I did not see a lot of the the bands of that era that I was that I was loving, and it, it, but except for, you know, listening to them on 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 the radio. But a lot of the local bands, I was hanging out at the the all ages clubs, and then started putting on my own shows. I was a little high school show promoter. Or I was oh cool. I was renting not for profit, really, just making cool <laughs> things happen. I was renting out these uh, like park like shelters at a park by the lake and and get a little pa together and i wasn't interested at all in like i don't know then like sound that was all like just totally mysterious to me i don't i don't know why i was like that was um not something i was thinking about at all i was like i was trying to be like in the band and put on the shows and make 
make cool things happen. So I started kind of arranging shows and, and making stuff happen around my little suburban area of Kansas City. Yeah. With my friends and we had a pretty cool cool little scene there. But I I think that that was the point when it just became like what I was crazy about, what I was just all about. In school in the academic way and playing in the marching band and the jazz band and and all that stuff that was that was not just uh growing musically but but that was the the social experience of of my growing up also that was the the people that was my people yeah so you know i think i think whenever you're when you're young and you're you're finding your way and you're finding your people that like whoever you surround yourself with that was that was hugely influential and on on me too and and just there's also something just just built into to certain people and the way music affects them you know i I don't doubt that it's that's in my dna whatsoever my my parents were not musicians but i don't think that that was really like much of an opportunity or not really pushed upon them at all by by their parents i was lucky enough to have parents that that thought that would be great for me to have an instrument and in and encouraged me and always always supported that Is there like a band that you were in that just sort of sticks out as one that became more popular or one that you really connected with or, you know, how many different bands were you in? Gosh. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I, I had a couple of rock bands in high school at some point, I think in my early twenties, I decided like, well, I have, I have, I can do. I can do whatever I want with myself. And like, how many people can say that, you know, like what a, great opportunity that I can, I can really just do whatever. And I'm going to choose to play as much music as possible. I was in like six or seven bands at once at some point, Wow. some on saxophone, some on bass guitar or, or guitar. I guess I, I kind of transitioned to bass guitar a few years after I mentioned uh, playing guitar in high school. But So you were really sort of already getting into multiple instruments and getting into multiple instruments and just wanting to spend as much of my time as possible, like making music. And, um, I, at at some point I, I started paying attention to, to what names were on the back of those records and who the producers and engineers were. Uh, I guess some of, I became aware, particularly when I got into more like of the, like, kind of textural um psychedelic shoegaze kind of stuff i loved the band my bloody valentine they were Mm. a big game changer for me in their whole uh their whole genre of of music is something that it is really like sculptured and soundscaped and is mysterious it goes it swings back the other direction i was saying how how punk rock you can just hear for normal people slaying into their instruments, you know, than this other kind of music that I was getting into that was really like soundscapey and mysterious. And these guitars, these these things don't sound like they're coming from guitars and yeah. and so on. And so I started like kind of getting 
getting interested in, in, in those kind of people. And then maybe sort of started fancying myself as like, okay, I think when I grow up, I want to be like that guy, Kevin Shields from my bloody Valentine. He's like, he's the guitarist and the front man of the band, but he's also the sonic mastermind, the producer type in, in, in general, I started kind of just knowing who the, who the producers were on, on some of my favorite records. And those started kind of, being some of the same guys so um, did you have a sense of like what a the process was of of making a record in a studio no okay so that still was just like not even a realm of no i mean but but i started figuring that out through the couple of first couple of experiences of of my bands going into studio okay and and really it was it was so it was such a (laughs) He was such a mystical, magical, like the the guys who knew how to do that stuff and operate this equipment. It was just like, it was like magic, you know, yeah. it, was, it, it, it was something that I was around for a few years before I even thought like about trying to approach it myself. And I, I guess it, like, like so many people, it grew from a four track had a little Yamaha tape yeah. recorder four track uh, into going over to my friend's house and they had a computer with uh, I think it was Cool Edit Pro, which was a <laughs> I think I think it was maybe limited to four or eight tracks, but what they were doing was using their computer's sound blaster card two tracks at a time recording into a computer I could just see I could I could just see the future spill out when I was like watching this like oh Whoa, okay, you're you're recording into that that computer there and then you can manipulate it any way you want, yeah. you know, and and you're not going to run out of tape. Hard drive space I guess was a little more of a thing then, but still it was just like such a breakthrough seeing music getting recorded into a computer and maybe at the time that was that was pretty much about the same time that major records were starting to be made with pro tools. Right. Uh, which was, which was the late nineties. Mm-hmm. So I think just seeing, seeing my friend recording into his computer actually was, was just a really big light bulb moment for me seeing like, Oh, okay. This, this kind of technology could be accessible to me. And then I started like within a year or two of that, like had my own little similar kind of rig where I was recording, I think like, four tracks at a time into my computer. Yeah, I remember band. getting the M box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was yeah. like a big deal. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and um I don't remember what I had some kind of cheap interface. I think it did four tracks at a time. So I would like the band would set up and and I would have all the drums mic'd up, I think, and then and record those four tracks and then go back then we're recording the bass or then then the guitars. There wasn't even like tracks for like scratch tracks. I think I was a it was basically approaching computer recording like a four track recorder except instead of having to bounce those tracks back onto one track to make yourself more space, you could layer, you could have all the tracks you wanted. I think right. that was the the big thing. So, I think um the band, the original band that was kind of my creation or me and my friend's creation, the most like kind of original and serious band that I was in was a group called the Stella Link, which started about 2000. Okay. And, um, and that was the first, that was the first time I got into recording my own band too. That was, that was our first 
demos in the basement was was my first computer recording rigs. So you were probably in your early twenties. Yeah. This, so college just wasn't really anything you were thinking about doing. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I probably should have taken some time after high school to kind of figure out what I wanted. You know. Yeah. I just jumped jumped right into college and and kind of thought like, okay, I know I'm into music. I'm a music person. Right. And and so now you're gonna like choose a major and turn this into your career i don't know so i'll be like a performance major and it became like very apparent very quick that i was not going to be like a professional saxophone player because like there's so few people can can really do that there's just (laughs) not many many jobs around that that go around for for that right that's true and and i've always loved playing music in an ensemble or a group of people small or large i've always liked playing in groups i've always had a hard time making myself sit down and practice so performance became out there i'm like okay well what's what's another thing people do like education and i i it kind of am inclined to teaching and I've come around to that in my own way. And I think I will be doing some more teaching in the future. But, uh, at the time I was just like, I don't know. I was just like trying to fit in, I guess. So anyway, yeah. I lasted two semesters of college and a band that uh, one of those local bands that was super like influential on, on me and like just a few years older and got signed on the record deal and doing touring and stuff. Uh, they needed somebody to fill in for their guitarist for a quick tour for like, it was just like a week and a half or something like that. But they're like, Hey Dave, can you like <laughs> learn our songs and jump in the van and go to New York with us next week? And I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was like in the first week of the first semester of college. So that was like, right when you're like, they're like the teacher's giving you the synopsis and and uh just just kind of starting to get your wits about you about what you're going to be doing with college and i was just like instantly off like doing that thing that was the first time i ever went on tour (laughs) and i was like this is the coolest thing ever i loved it and i wanted to to do more of that and so really like i worked in bars i worked in restaurants i was like everything every job i was doing was basically the thing to like get by because music was my main thing and 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 i was i was running with this for this this was going to be what i do i'm i am i'm just i'm making music uh we we put out uh one one full-length record on an indie label and people came out to see us in st louis and chicago and minneapolis kind of got like a a midwest thing going on that was my main thing and i was putting all of my efforts into into making that that thing be a success i guess a success would have been like say if we could have gone to like any other city and like 200 people showed up to see us getting back to like at what point this this love of music turned into my career as a as a front of house engineer as a as a as an audio engineer as a technician it uh some components, some people in my band, I just were, were not as serious about it as, as I was. And I think that's just like, that's the oldest story in the book, right? I mean, that's, I think that's the hardest thing about being in a band and being successful is, is 
keeping the band together, keeping keeping this relationship, like being married to four people or whatever it is, and and uh, keeping all those people happy and all their needs met. You know, some some people are not made for like going it sleeping in a van and eating ramen and you know it's it's bullshit it sucks yeah, you know totally. um at at the time there were a couple other bands in Kansas City that that were starting to do well and and getting some getting some label traction and and starting to tour and um had your knowledge of boards well, or anything yeah so, I, oh like, yeah i guess i kind of i kind of sk- skipped over the um while i was still mostly like really seeing myself mostly a, as a musician i i started doing sound in bars it was really okay. like my friend my friend called me that was working at the bar like knowing that i used my four track in the basement and it was making demos of our band and stuff like that saying like hey this sound guy is totally out he just got in a fight with the owner you <laughs> you can have that job if if you can show up and make it work tonight wow and uh, it, i'm sure it, was, but it that's, wasn't great and it wasn't great for a while but i kind of uh I, I, there were a couple of guys around me who who had who were the experienced guys in in that stuff and working the sound in the clubs and I learned. I gleaned a lot off of those guys, especially originally. I'd follow them around and write down everything they did. So I was, I was learning to do sound in in clubs. Were you thinking about it as a potential career move at this point? I don't think so. I think I was still only thinking it as 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 an extension of of furthering myself as a musician. Yeah. Um, but I but I know that I, I really I there was a local band that local band called nameless number head man who i just adored they kind of sounded like granddaddy or like i don't i don't know if you know those guys but mm-hmm. it's it's like a it's electronic keyboards mixed in with with songwriting and some acoustic instruments and um just a really like kind of unique acoustic slash electronic type of music and my band would play with those guys and I would go to see them and every time I thought well this doesn't sound close to what they're supposed to sound like I don't know what that guy is doing over there but I have a feeling that I could do it better I think I yeah. think I I have a feeling that uh, I at least have opinions about about how this thing should be I always felt like I was like a producer guy before i ever approached like trying to learn the gear or whatever you know i was always thinking about sounds in that way so for some reason that was the local band that took me like that and um uh and instead to where i really started thinking about it in terms of of learning how music is mixed i was working a couple years in in kind of learning the craft in in small in small like 150 capacity tiny tiny bars in Kansas City until until some friends of mine got a record deal and I was their f- favorite guy that did sound for them in town they said hey come on tour with us and uh, it it that was really the start of this becoming a career but it was also this the start the the moment when I was thinking maybe the people that I'm surrounded with right now that I'm putting all of my effort into are not as serious about 
this thing as I am. Uh, yet I do, I really like touring and I'm still like, um, I'm part of a musical performance when I'm, when I'm out there touring, whether or not I'm on stage. And you somehow like were able to reconcile that you didn't need to be up on stage. You were okay. You were okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that kind of came over time. Sure. Like now, like I don't want to be the person up on stage <laughs> at all. Yeah. I, I don't like. I'm not like really envying the the people that I'm on tour with working for. It's just like it's such just such a different. It's a different job and a, and a hard job and and just and just like we were talking about earlier, putting yourself out there so much. It's a uh, it's it's so much more than just just getting up there and playing music. And um, so yeah, I feel like as I've grown up, I've I've realized that I'm that I'm I love playing in bands. I love playing in music, and that that has kind of unfortunately stopped since I moved to Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles four years ago. And uh, as I mentioned, I don't really get into playing music by myself too much, especially as bass guitar is my my instrument now. It's just right. like not really much. You don't really like do a lot like, you know, playing like rock bass lines by yourself. That yeah. only goes so far. So, yeah, I think as far as the being on stage thing, I'm like... I'm like totally over that. When when it was when I first started touring, I remember it was like I had like something that was in my mind when I started touring. Yeah. Was that was that this is that I'm I'm a musician that 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 does sound, you know? And I still look at things like that, you know. It's that that is totally everything about the way I approach my job and the way I approach learning it that adds up to what I specialize in nowadays, which is really t- translating music to ears. And, and, and really, ultimately, like, my job done well is making people feel like I really want, like, audiences to to get goosebumps or feel ecstatic or scared or freaked out or whatever it is you know music's not always supposed to be nice or comfortable or whatever the feeling is i want to i want to bring that i want to like bring an experience to people i remember reading this article about quentin tarantino talking about you know inglorious bastards was sort of like this four or five year process yeah i mean i i don't think and I don't hold this against people. If you're not an artist, if you're not a musician, if you're not a filmmaker, you, you don't really know the the ins and outs and the, the long hours and the time it takes to make a movie. Yeah. Put on a show. For, yeah. You know, it's an hour and a half and people really just think, oh, it's an hour and a half. But there's just so much involved behind the scenes. Yeah. And I think the creative process, the the art, the the patience, the time it takes to put these shows together. I just, I think is getting lost. People don't really, I think one result of people not paying for music is sort of these, I I get the sense that studios aren't paying as well as they used to for the people behind the scenes, behind the camera. I mean, it's, it's, and as you say, if you didn't respond to that email, Mm -hmm. 
to get a, a get you know to get a gig if mm-hmm. if you waited two hours instead of an hour it's very likely that maybe they would have picked somebody else instead of you yeah I, I just I think people like you need to be raised up and applauded and and even like the DPs and and the grips and and I know I'm going back and forth between musical references and film references but yeah it it is an art that yeah. People need to respect, and, yeah, and, and it's it's really like in in both in, in in film or or music production, any of this stuff. It's it's the combination. Yeah, you know the director's name or the person who is who's on on the marquee, uh, but it's it's the combination of of so many details, so many tiny details. Yeah, every everybody in, involved in how you might think some of those jobs are are more you know, less important or more minutia than others. But that's like, that is, that is the stuff that really makes, makes this, this beautiful thing come together at the end of the day. I think I, and a lot of people that are in the production world, see it as, as the, like our jobs are done right. When, when we're, when we're like invisible, really, you know, when the production is, is the strongest is, is when, when the artist just, looks and sounds amazing and the songs speak directly to the audience and the audience is not thinking about anything else that you know hopefully that's that's what we're hopefully that's what we're doing so i'm not really at all like bummed out or bothered by like the like people doing technical stuff a lot of times are kind of forgotten or or in the background hopefully Hopefully, if someone's noticing my work, it's it's because they they understand production a little bit and they understand I'm doing a good job. A lot of times with sound, people don't really notice the sound unless it's really bad, right? Yeah, everybody. That's the thing is like everybody knows when when the sound is not going well, particularly if it hurts. The lights or other things can be going poorly, but not physically hurt you. Right, yeah. <laughs> and sound sure can. So. So hopefully people are not noticing, you know, hope that that's, that's really a big part of it is, is all putting all of these details and all of this troubleshooting and all of these issues that, that may crop up through the day or, or the course of a, of a tour, putting all of these little details to bed. I think, I think it's cool. I'm fine with blending into the background. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean it in the most sort of complimentary way. And yeah. I'm, I'm saying in the sense that I want people to, maybe be educated about gosh there's a lot of people involved yeah in putting a show together it's it's specifically it's bothersome to me and a lot of my friends who are more in the the studio line of work and and that album credits are pretty much gone Mm. you can interesting most i mean many many records not not all but but a lot of times you you can look up and find the information online you can seek it out but uh, the way that music is consumed on streaming platforms, there is no liner notes. So I think that's that's something that is really lacking in in credit in our world because uh, a lot of times on, on on a record, as you know, that that could be that could be six months, a year, or or years of of a person's life and and hard work. Yeah, and um, and those those people those people's names should should be known they they should be credited just just like the credits roll after a movie not everybody sits and looks at the credits but if you want to know who did something it 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 should be there it should be available 
do you like living in LA? I love it. Why? Um, well, there, you know, there's, there's, there's so many facets to it. What I, I, I should say when I, before I moved to LA from Kansas city, um, I had, I had always seen myself like some version of, of success in like, it is like moving to a bigger city just because there's not really music business. There's a lot of music and a lot of good people doing the music in Kansas city in places, markets like that, but there's not a lot of business funding those things. It's just, yeah, I was a partner in a recording studio there. It's kind of, if you're into music, it's really a labor of love Yeah, in, in, in a place without much, much industry. And, um, and I really, in getting into making it a career, it became more and more clear that I, I really, if I wanted to take things to the next step, particularly as not just as an audio engineer, but a music mixer, that I really had to go get it be accessible and get around yeah. where other people are doing it. My initial impressions of L.A. on touring, I, on tour, I hated it. I it could not, I mean, before I lived here, I'm talking going back a few years, like when I would just like come on tour and stop off at the Troubadour or whatever, all I'd see was like West Hollywood and like meet some label people who were like really nice, cool people, but like kind of like so stereotypical, like LA, like just exactly what a person from the Midwest is expecting yeah. to run into in LA. And uh, I just, I was just, really put off by the whole thing but it came a time one of the the main bands i've worked for for a really long time is called local natives they're sure. they're a los angeles based band in working with those guys being around them more often and then and then starting work for another la band called failure and a, and a related band of theirs called auto lux i was working for all of these la bands and all of these la managers and basically just missing out on things because i was making my self so inaccessible being far away so i thought like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna try la it's just there's all this work for me there right now i'm gonna see if i like it i've never lived anywhere else and that was it i didn't really have like a lot of like oh my god la is gonna be amazing or whatever i'm gonna make it i'm just gonna like see if i can get by see if i can like i'm gonna go from being the 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 one of few engineers in a small city to one of very, very many in a, in a massive city and see how all that shakes out. I was kind of, that was, that was my take going into it. And, um, I, it seems to me that there's just so much going on here that, that anybody, whatever it is that, that you're good at, whatever you have to offer, if you're good at it and you have a good work ethic, there's a lot of work available to you here and that's that's the way it's been for me and the other thing is that there are so many people who are just badasses out here there are so many people being whether you're a musician into film audio engineers that do the exact same thing that that i do there's just inspiration galore Hmm, in the people that i surround myself by you know rather than feeling like i i kind of know what I'm doing and I can rest on my laurels a little bit. Working around here just makes me feel like there's just always, I'm just always surrounded by people that are like hungry for it and super talented and you know, all there's just so much of that around that I, that is just really inspiring to me. It makes me want to work harder and, and up my game. 
but I, I love the weather. I don't mind a little bit of heat. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and then we, we just relocated out, out here just a little, little bit further away from, from the city now. Yeah. Just close enough to be there quick, but, but far enough away that, uh, LA has has that to offer too is that you can still be part of of LA world but but not have to be like right in a urban environment yeah. you know totally you can, there's a lot of there's a lot of nature around and a lot of natural beauty i think that's that's inspiring too of course yeah yeah david man yeah. i appreciate you talking <laughs> um, I appreciate you coming out here and yeah. talking to me, man. No, it's cool. I, I've been asked. I, most few guests have been sort of yoga related, and I wanted to get back. And my next guest next week is actually a really talented musician. I wanted to bring some more music elements back to the show. So yeah, uh, I yeah. appreciate you taking the time and being a part of the show. Well, I, I can't talk about yoga very much. <laughs> I've tried it a couple of yeah. times, but yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe when you come back for for, for round two, I'll I'll have developed in that That's way. No, no, it's not a requirement. Maybe I just I'll I think your brain on that after because we're I, done recording. Here. I'm just interested in so many different things. I I know people in different worlds. So right, and I and totally know know you through our yeah, musician friends exactly. and, and music world. I know you as as a as a musician and i know you have this whole yoga thing that is also yeah. well it was just kind of enlightening and listening to some of your podcasts yeah and, yeah <laughs> cool man yeah well um we'd love to have you back on the show and thanks yeah, for well, making the time i look forward to it thanks eddie